Open your Bibles, if you would, to Revelation chapter 14. And uh, if I haven't had the privilege to meet you, my name is Ken DeLage. I serve as the senior pastor here. And it's a joy to look out and see lots of family and friends of those who are getting baptized. So glad that you could join us today. Uh, you might be embarking on something new this morning. I don't know. Uh, but we are actually preaching right through the book of Revelation. And so you get to join us as we continue along that journey. And we'll be in, as I said, Revelation chapter 14. Well, praise God for baptism. I love this morning of the year where we get to celebrate what the Lord is doing, has done in people's lives. It is a picture of right now for believers. It's a picture of, of an old way of living, of thinking, and of being dying. And a whole new creature coming back up out of the waters. The scripture says we are new creations in Christ. If you've ever met a brand new Christian, you've probably been aware, huh? that's a new creation. They are not who they were. Praise the Lord. We are not who we were. So it pictures something that, that he's done right now, but it pictures something else. This is, this is our hope. Because it pictures dying, going down in the water. And every one of us is heading there, Christian or not. Every one of us is heading to a burial where we will be the guest of honor. Everyone. <coughs> The question is, what happens after that? And what this affirms, what this preaches silently, but through the picture the Lord gave us, is that for the believer, there is life after death. Even as Christ was raised from the dead, so is our hope that he will raise us with him. That's the hope of the believer. So let me, let me ask you, believer, is that hope active in you? On Wednesday evening, Saturday morning, and Sunday while you watch football? Is that hope active and working and energizing you? Can, can, can you say that you set your mind on things that are above rather than just the stuff of earth? Does your life look like you're living for eternity or living for today? This is our second week where we're going to be considering Revelation 14, verse 13 only. Second week on one verse. We don't usually go quite that slow. But two weeks is not too long to spend considering eternity with the Lord. We need to set our minds here, church, and fix our hope here, church, so that we would live in light of this, church. So... You've got your Bible. You can follow along as I read Revelation chapter 14, verse 13. And I heard a voice from heaven say, Write this, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors for their deeds. Follow them. Lord, I pray 
that your word would accomplish in us all that you intend. Bring the dead to life today under the hearing of your word. And Lord, bring those of us who are so often tempted to fix our eyes on the things of earth, convict us and encourage us, transform us, that we would look further at this blessed hope that you promise. In Jesus' name, amen. The verse begins, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord. So there is this very startling uh, statement, blessed are the dead. We're not expecting that particular statement, but that's how this begins. The dead are blessed. Which dead? Those who die in the Lord. In other words, this is speaking about Christians. People who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ. Often, it's people who've been baptized, who've demonstrated that faith by coming forward and, and being obedient to the Lord through baptism. Those who are in the Lord are blessed when they die. That's what this was a picture of. Dying and then being raised up again with Christ. It says that they are blessed. And I'll just remind you, we did this same verse last week, and I'm not going to cover all the same things two weeks in a row, but I do want to catch everybody up. What does it mean by blessed? When it says blessed, what does that mean? We could use a shorthand and, and say that it means happy. Happy are those who die in the Lord. And that, that would be accurate, but it would also be incomplete. And here's what I mean. To be blessed by God is to be given such profound, wonderful, satisfying gifts by God that you are inevitably happy. So happiness, yeah, you could say happy are those who die. Of course they're happy because they're blessed. They've been given such gifts from the Lord that they can't help but be happy. It is an unstoppable happiness, an uncontrollable happiness, an unending happiness that those who are, have died in the Lord are experiencing even now. So let me begin with a simple proposition for all of us this morning. If God says something, we should believe it. If God reveals something, we should accept it. If God promises something, we should build our lives on it. God speaks, we should listen. And here is the word of God for us this morning. Those who die in Christ are blessed. Here's my word to, to all who are not yet in Christ. Oh, friend, your death is inevitable. You don't feel that way when you're young. And death doesn't care how you feel. Your death is inevitable. You must, you must do business with your creator. You must. You, mu you will. You will. It is not blessed are the dead, period. It is blessed are the dead who die in the Lord. Are you in the Lord? It is not too late today to be in the Lord. I'll ask you the same questions we asked 
each one going into the water of baptism. Do you know that you're a sinner? You look to Christ to forgive you of those sins. Now some, some have intellectual objections. I, I, I don't know that God exists. Or why does evil exist in the world? Or, and, and those are serious, I understand. I know, I know it, can, it can be hard. But let me just cut through it for you in a moment and say, in, those intellectual uh, things that you hold up mask the real problem of not wanting to bow down before God. That's the real problem. That's, that was the real problem in me. That's the, that's the real problem in each. God is real. Yes. To him you will give an account. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord. Do not die without the Lord, friend. Because that is a very different verse than this. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors for their deeds. Follow them. So how then are the dead blessed who are in the Lord? It says further down, blessed indeed, says the Spirit, number one, that they may rest from their labors. And number two, for their deeds, follow them. Last week, we talked about number one. Last week, we talked about the, the precious gift that is rest from our labors. Praise the Lord that we get to rest in God for all time. This morning, we're going to look at the second of the two blessings. As it says, for their deeds, follow them. What does that mean? <laughs> What's it mean that their deeds follow them? Picture with me, if you would, person arriving to the end of their life. Person is a believer. We could call them a, a pilgrim. The way has been long. The traveler is tired. And the river of death is at their feet. It is dark and foreboding and fearful. But step into that into it they must do. And slowly they wade into the waters. Now, as they wade into the waters, all the stuff of life, all of it, their home, their cars, their clothing, their possessions, their degrees and their awards, their titles and their positions, all of it drops off. All of it gets piled up on the shore and they bring none of it with them. And they enter the river as they entered the world with nothing. Coming up on the other side, they meet their Lord who is so eager to, to meet them and to welcome them, he gets his feet wet to pull them up and say, welcome. Welcome. There's a lot that we could think about in that picture that is glorious, but I want to focus your, your gaze on one thing. 
they entered the river alone. They came across the river alone. But as they come out of the river, they're not alone. They are accompanied. Something is following after them. And it is their deeds. Their deeds follow them. Their good works, their godly labors. I, I pictured this. I think it's a silly picture, but I may as well share it. I pictured it like a goose with lots of little geese following after, you know? And there goes the goose all proud across the road and all these little <coughs> goslings, thank you. Geese uh, ets were following after. And like, you have to just stop the car and look because they're so cute. Oh, there they all go, you know? So out of the river comes this pilgrim and after them, one after another, this line that just keeps growing and growing, deed after deed after deed after deed, just following along behind as they enter into heaven. What are these deeds that are following? What are these deeds that are promised that they follow those who die in the Lord? Well, the first thing we could say, it is, in fact, their deeds that follow them. What I mean to say is, it's true, Jesus died for our sins. Praise the Lord. It's true that we gave him all of our sinful deeds. And it is also true that he gave us his righteous deeds. Glory to God, we're clothed in his righteousness. But these aren't his deeds that are following them. As it says, blessed indeed, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors for their deeds follow them. It is their labors and their deeds, not the Lord's deeds, that follow the Christian into eternity. So what are these deeds? Well, it, it cannot be their sinful deeds. <laughs> Glory to God again. It's not the sinful deeds of the believer. Praise the Lord, they're not making it to heaven. Those were nailed to the cross. Those were born in the body of Jesus Christ as he was nailed to the cross in our place. When he died, the record of sin against us died as well. Those deeds can't follow us because no one can find them. Because they're gone. Because he took them with them into the grave and there they stay. Praise the Lord. So what remains? What is following the saints across the river and to that golden shore? Only their good works. Only their good deeds, their, their godly acts, their righteous labors. This is what follows the pilgrim through the water and up onto that far shore, intact from the journey. So no doubt you have uh, planned a trip, taken a trip where you needed to pack, right? You're going to take an airplane flight, and so you get your, your first piece of luggage and your second piece of luggage and your carry-on. When did we have to start paying for carry-ons? It's not how it was when I was younger, but now you're pretty sure you've got to pay to wear a sweatshirt, not to mention bring a carry-on. Every little bit of luggage costs money, but nonetheless, you need the luggage wherever you're going, whatever this vacation is. And so you pack your sunscreen and your toothbrush 
and your change of clothes and whatever else that you're going to need on the trip. Well, let me ask you, what will you pack on your way to heaven? Now, the answer most of us would think of, and it's not entirely wrong, is, well, nothing. Nothing. You can't pack anything on the way to heaven. You can't take anything on that flight. They have very strict regulations about carry-ons, the flight to heaven. That's true from a certain perspective. But actually, you can pack for that journey. Because there is one thing you can bring. One thing, and it's not a thing. It is the deeds you have done for the Lord. Those follow you. They come with you to him. Okay, so those come with us. Why? Why? Because the Spirit says, blessed indeed are these because their deeds follow them. So we could logically deduce this is for the purpose of blessing. And indeed it is. This is an amazing reality. Our God who created us, our God who put up with our sin day after day after day, our God who, despite a thousand times hearing the gospel and we turned away, continued to show us mercy, our God who, despite our rebellion, went himself to the cross that he could take the wrath that we deserve, who one day availed on our hearts and we turned to the Lord. But we didn't stop sinning. And he continued to show mercy and grace and to sanctify us day after day, giving us new hope and new desires, giving us opportunities to serve him, and then eventually bringing us home with him. That Lord, that God, who's done all of that for us, when we arrive to heaven, he plans to reward us. That's called grace. It is a stunning grace. This is a theme of scripture. I don't know if you picked up on it. The theme of God rewarding his people for how they serve him is a theme throughout scripture. So let me be very clear how this works, okay? I don't want anybody to, to get lost in, in where we're going here. Your deeds done for Christ cannot save you. Right? The work of Christ for you is what saves you. And you trusting that and that alone is what saves you. Okay? That's what saves you. That's it. You get to heaven because of his deeds, not yours. But when you get to heaven, you bring your deeds done for him. That's what we're talking about. You get there, following after you are the things you've done for the Lord. So consider just a few passages with me. This one from Ephesians chapter 6. It tells us to, to serve others and as we do so, to, to see the person we're serving and, and to think of serving Christ. And this is what he says. Knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord. So, so you're, you're serving a person right in front of you, but you're doing it unto Christ. And he says, whatever good 
Anyone does. They will receive back from the Lord. Whatever good, whatever service, whatever sacrifice, whatever love, whatever labor, this he will receive back from the Lord. Luke chapter 6 applies this to enduring persecution. He says this, Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spur your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven. It is, I think, Insane to rejoice in the middle of persecution. Or it is to believe the word of God. Listen, I think we missed something here, Christian. I hope we have done, I hope we do well, and we know that we get to heaven based on his work alone. But if that's all we ever say about works, we have no motivation for works. And clearly, we're to be motivated in the middle of persecution to rejoice and leap for joy because our reward is getting bigger because of persecution. That's amazing. Our God will not fail to reward his people who have endured and faced persecution on his behalf. Later in that same chapter of Luke, he applies this to loving our enemies. He says, but love your enemies, do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great. Ducks again, like do good and your reward gets bigger. Lend without expecting anything in return and your reward gets bigger. Love your enemies and your reward gets bigger. Last one, 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15 is 58 verses. It's a big chapter. All about the resurrection. All about us being raised from the dead. All about that hope. New bodies, one day with the Lord. Right? 58 verses in to explaining this. And there's one verse of application at the end. And that's the one that I will read for you. After all of this stuff about being raised from the dead, he says, so be steadfast, be immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. Knowing that in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. So the Christian is aware that that baptism is real, that one day we get up out of the grave. And on that day, he rewards his people for the way they have followed after him. In the Lord, your labor is not in vain. In the Lord, your labor is not in vain. Now, let me me point something out. Apart from the Lord, all your labor is vain. All of it. Remember that river? Remember that picture? I don't know whether you believe in God. I hope you believe in death. Because that river's coming. And you will cross it. And like it or not, you will leave everything on the shore. Everything. 
Everything you ever did, vain, purposeless, meaningless, nothing. No point, no purpose. You can take none with you. Laboring for this world's accolades, for this world's wealth, for the honor that people will give you, just gone with the wind. All of it. Everything that happens in this world, apart from Christ, tends towards vanity. And and we tend to think, oh no, I'll I'll leave a legacy. What's your great-great-grandfather's name? Just everything gets forgotten under the sands of time. It's all in vain. But in Christ, in Christ, labor done for Christ is not in vain. None of it. None of it is vain. That's profound. So, so dear sister, married to a difficult man, a difficult husband, and you're serving him, and he doesn't notice. And you honor him, he doesn't notice. You put up with him with very little reward. Dear sister, our Lord will forget none of all you've done. None. Nothing. Nothing gets overlooked by him. Take hope in your reward. Dear brother, hands calloused and shoulders hurting, working to provide for your family, tired and weary, three steps forward, two steps back, bring home the paycheck to pay for the broken washer. Brother, there's not a single early morning Not one late night that you spent up. Not a single load that you carried or a call that you made or a drive through the night that you stayed awake for that the Lord will forget. Not a single one. In the Lord, your labor is not in vain. Your deeds will follow you to those shores. This is profoundly wonderful news. Moms, Stay awake late to feed the baby. And then get up in the middle of the night to feed the baby. And wake up early to feed the baby. Doing all the diapers. Singles who fight for purity. Who fight to make sense of a plan that apparently doesn't involve marriage. Fight to trust God. How long, O oh Lord? Widows, widowers, and the fight for joy, and the fight for trusting Jesus, the fight to be in community. How long, O oh Lord? And the prayers prayed for wayward sons. 
And the prayers prayed for wayward daughters. And the prayers prayed for for those that you love and care for and for sick family members and and the battle to forgive and the the faithfulness to share the gospel. And, And when you turn your eyes away from lust and no one sees, when you turn your heart away from jealousy and no one sees, and you hit your knees by your bed and no one sees, and you give your 10% and then more because you see a need, but no one sees. And then you fast because you just want to know him more and no one sees. You read your Bible. You study your Bible. And you memorize your Bible and no one sees. Labors that no one sees. Fights that no one sees. Good deeds that no one sees. Got news for you, friend. Someone sees. Someone sees. And your father who sees in secret, will reward you. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord for their deeds follow. Do you believe this passage, Christian? Do you believe that our Lord has for us a store of rewards? Let me suggest two ways this should impact us word should rest on us. The first is this. Friend, this truth should guard us against self-pity. What self-pity is? Woe is me. My life is so terrible. I'm feeling sorry for myself. No one knows the trouble I've seen. say this with compassion because I know who I'm talking to. But I'm going to say it with boldness as well. Is your Lord going to forget to reward you? Will your pain not be more than doubly paid back at his hand? Will he forget your deeds when he remembers all others? He will not. He will not. He will not. Your pain he remembers. Your suffering, he counts. Your tears, he acknowledges. And your deeds will follow you into his very presence. So friends, Christians have hard lives. But Christians have more cause for joy than anyone else. Sorrow and grief, yes. But sorrowful and always rejoicing. Because this is storing up reward at the hand of our king. His smiling, well done. So, put away complaint. Banish self-pity. And this woe is me. There is an eternal weight of glory being prepared by, as he calls them, these slight and momentary afflictions. If you are walking through the depths, grieving is biblical. Sorrow is biblical too. But friend, praise him from the depths. 
for he will bring you to the heights and reward you for every moment. So let us battle self-pity. And the second, I trust it's obvious. Seek the reward. Seek the reward. If he rewards good deeds, huh, we should do some calculus. <laughs> okay. I see how this works. Do you? Do you see how this works? It's astounding. You can't take anything with you, but you can send stuff on ahead. You can. This changes the way we think about everything. Take giving, okay? Take giving. So, why should we give generously? I could think of a lot of reasons. Out of obedience to the Lord. Yeah. Maybe out of the fear of God. Yes. Out of love for Him. Yes. Out of love for others, maybe we are concerned for them, so we want to give generously to them. That's a good motive, yes? Maybe, maybe it's our heart for his mission. Yes, these are, these are all good. These are all good reasons. These are all biblical reasons. These are all godly reasons. So, so give for all of those reasons. But friends, another reason to give is that the, the Lord will, will reward you for giving. Now, you might think, well, Ken, that is a crass reason to give. That sure sounds selfish. And I will simply say, take it up with Jesus, <laughs> who encourages us to give for the sake of reward, who encourages us to endure persecution. Rejoice and be glad, he says, in that day, because your reward in heaven is great. He wants us to be motivated by eternal reward. You know what selfishness is? Being motivated by reward now. You know what godliness is? Being motivated by reward then. That's right. Everything is different. Everything is different. This is a God-given, biblical motive that should be alive in our hearts. You realize if you were to do this, let's say you take God up on this. Okay, I see how this works. I'm just going to be a generous giver then. As though you're threatening God. <laughs> you will not, you will not outgive him. You won't. I beg you to try. Because I beg you for your own good. Try to outgive God. Just try. Just keep trying. Just keep trying. He might have a hard time not giving you a little blessing in this life too. But he will certainly reward you in the next. Friend, you, you understand that when, when we take God at his word and begin to, to be motivated by the rewards he promises, he gets more glory when we do this. Like his glory and our good are bound up together. They're tied up together. Because who seeks rewards like this? Those who trust him. Those who believe his word. Those who have come to deeply know my God is a rewarder of those who seek him. So seek him, I will.
That gives honor to God. And then who is it that he's rewarding? Well, it's those who gave their lives for others, who, who, weren't, who weren't so concerned for their reputation that they wouldn't evangelize. Those who suffered and sacrificed and served and went unnoticed time and time and time again. The Lord rewards them. And they have brought him much glory. So our question this morning, we close. Is baptism true? We all saw it enacted. We all saw people go under the water and come back up. Nobody thinks that's not true. I hope we can talk. I hope you see that part is true. The question is, does this picture something profoundly true? that we're all going to face one day. The day will come when we are laid in the ground. It's a picture something true, that the Lord himself will raise us back up out of those waters. And that he will reward those who seek him. Christian, let's live as though God's promises are true. Let's live as though they're true. Let's set our minds on this, set our hope on this, adjust our actions for this, anticipating the day when he rewards his people. Because as we do so, he will be greatly glorified in a people trusting him through all that we walk through. So may he be glorified. Worship team, come on up. Let's stand together. And Lord, I pray as we stand and prepare to sing. Pray that no one would rush past this moment. Lord, help us each to respond now to what you're saying. Lord, where we have been stingy, forgive us. Live for today, forgive us. Fail to believe your promises, forgive us. Lord, would you fill us afresh with your spirit that we could have joy in walking through hard things because we so deeply know that our reward is great in heaven. And Lord, I pray for anyone here who doesn't know you. They would not take a single other step without turning to you. They would know and taste and see that the Lord is good. That his blessings are real. We pray for the work of your spirit as we sing together. In Jesus' name, amen.